Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. This warm-hearted documentary, Seahorse, follows Freddie, a 30-year-old gay transgender man who yearns to start a family. However, for Freddie, this is no ordinary desire because it comes with unique challenges. Deciding to carry his own baby took years of soul searching, but nothing could prepare him for the reality of pregnancy as both the physical experience and one that challenges society's fundamental understanding of gender, parenthood, and family. He quickly realizes that what to him feels pragmatic to others is deeply confusing and confronting. We'll leave it there because this is a, such a terrific documentary film. It's, it's warm, it's, uh, it's interesting, and Freddie is an amazing subject in the film, and all of the things that come along with what he is doing is endlessly fascinating. And we're joined today by the director of Seahorse, The Dad Who Gave Birth, and that would be Jeannie Finley. Jeannie, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome, and uh, I meant what I said. This film just is warm from the outset. That it has a lot to do with Freddie. It has a lot to do with the way that you filmed it. There's a certain pace to the film that just all of it just brings you right in to it. I'm sure a lot of this kind of emerges in in the editing process. But before before we get to the technical side of everything, how did you get to know Freddie? Well, this is an unusual film for me. Usually I um, get an idea for a film and I go out and I get the access and then we raise the money and make the film. And that's how I do an authored film. And in 2018, I sort of said yes to two people for the very first time. One of them was Freddie McConnell making Seahorse, The Dad I Gave Birth. And one of them was HBO when they asked me to make a documentary embedded on the set of Game of Thrones when I made The Last Watch. So it's a very sort of new process for me, but actually as soon as you get started, it's the same. Every film is the same. I want to make films that are made with integrity, that have intimacy at the heart of them, which listen to people and reflect the complexity and the difficulty and the joy in people's lives, and also can give the audience some time to... I don't know, maybe spend some time with someone that they would never meet in their everyday life. And that that was very much, you know, Freddie initiated the project of Seahorse. I didn't know him. I'd never met him. And he met with lots of directors because he wanted someone to tell his story. He thought, the thing he sort of said to me was that he, he confirmed for himself that he was transgender after he watched a documentary on YouTube. It helped him see his life back. And Freddie was told that he, if he transitioned, that he would be giving up his fertility. And he discovered that, that actually the, the advice he'd been given was, was incorrect. It's a, it's a myth. And many trans men are able to stop their hormone therapy and um, their fertility, their periods return, and they're able to get pregnant. And this is not well known. And he wanted other people to know that because there's many different ways of making a family. And sometimes it's a trans guy getting pregnant, having a baby, and remaining male at every stage of that process. Thank you for walking us through that because these are things that I had no idea about. 
And I think in terms of the general zeitgeist of our society, my society, is that these things, these sort of options are, are very new and growing up in an era when this would have been unthinkable. So, so it's, it's just fascinating to see someone navigate this and then also to, to come to realize uh, this is a new world we live in. Some of it has to do with an advancements in, in medicine and technologies. Some of it just has to do with recognizing that there is a, a wide range of experiences as human beings, mm-hmm. and, and we should all be open to them. So um, there's this film, <clears throat> excuse me, this film works on a lot of different levels, telling Freddie McDonald's story, and also just understanding life's options, life's many different uh, uh, roads to be traveled. So I just really appreciate the film on that level. And um, so let's go back to that, that this sort of the, the interaction between you and Freddie and him essentially coming to you about the film or making of the film, right? What, what, what were your first sort of questions? What were the, the sort of challenges you felt you needed to address for you to go forward with, with this? Oh, well, um, the, well, the reason why I said yes <laughs> was that I had a, I was left with just so many questions. I mean, I think the thing about making a film is you don't want to know where it's going to go. That's the joy of documentary. It could go anywhere. And so I had lots of questions and I sort of figured that making the film would be an opportunity to answer some of those questions. Like I was interested in what it would do to Freddie's sense of self. Someone who's been so so passionately and so, you know, it put himself through a lot to transition. It's a huge sort of um, emotional, physical step. You know, he had top surgery, so no, no longer had breasts, had them removed, had very painful surgery to have that done. And so I was left with lots of questions like, well, what will happen to him? And on a personal level, I was able to reflect on what it was like for me to become a parent 16 years ago when I had my daughter and so yeah that's that's the reason why I said yes I just sort of thought it will be I'm not sure where this journey is going to take us but the ride will be interesting Mm -hmm. you know and there was so much risk at the beginning we weren't sure whether Freddie could even get pregnant we didn't know whether his periods would come back we didn't know whether the the process of getting pregnant because he um, had artificial, well, had insemination in a clinic. Could we film in the clinic? Would would he be able to get pregnant? Would it be successful? Would the pregnancy be healthy and would he be okay? You know, these are all unknown things. Right. Will Will he be able to give birth? Will I be able to be at the birth? All of these things were things that, I had no idea, but I sort of felt like it was worth, it was worth the risk to give it a go. Um, Yeah. And, and also I, we sort of also thought that at the beginning that it would be very straightforward, but I think that as soon as Freddie stopped taking testosterone, he sort of had a reckoning with who he was in a way. It wasn't, pregnancy that was the the biggest challenge of all it was the gender dysphoria that testosterone stopped 
Gen um, Freddie's described to me that gender dysphoria feels like cosmic toothache. And so that was a huge challenge. And creatively as a filmmaker, it was a huge challenge for me. I'm a cis woman. I've never experienced gender dysphoria. What does that feel like? I don't know, but I could spend a lot of time with Freddie and I'm um, and very empathetic. So I can listen to him, uh, try and articulate and understand it, but then also meditate on what that feels like so I could create imagery to allow the audience to also feel that as well, if that makes sense. And we see that in the film, it manifests itself in Freddie's kind of ongoing dialogue with the camera. You know, I remember there's one scene where he's walking through a park, I believe, and he's talking about, he stopped taking testosterone very early in the film. We see him stop testosterone. And then we see him begin to take hormones and sort of, sort, sort of re, re, readjust his body. If I'm saying this wrong, tell me, but sort of get his body into a place where pregnancy is most likely to happen. And he's talking about how if men felt the way I do right now, as I'm making my body ready for pregnancy, we would never stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, we're, it's sort of a real-time narrative for someone like myself, a man who is trying to, who has heard this said by many women in my life, that this is what, you know, you have no idea. So it, and again, and this is the other thing you mentioned in, in what you just said is, as a filmmaker, this journey that you you volunteer for with almost every project and every time I've had do documentary filmmakers on, almost without exception, it's this desire to know what you don't know, the desire that the journey and finding out at the end of that journey, what you've learned, what you can impart to the world. And that's what this film is for me. I'm watching it. So those two, I, I sort of brought up two different parts of this, but it, Freddie's honesty, his forthrightness, his ability to analyze a situation almost without emotion and often without emotion, to be able to bring us in to what he's going through. And then you uh, as, uh, as his uh, accompanying him on this journey. So and comment on that or anything to add? Um, just that I think... Um, I think Freddie is the most British person I've ever met. And so one of the challenges in the film was to find a way for him to express emotion that he hadn't already written down or told to someone else. So because he considered transitioning and, and was a journalist, he'd written extensively about what it meant to transition. But we were both going into new territory together. And it was actually really it was really challenging to find the words to articulate it. And at the beginning of the process, um, Freddie, I think he imagined that there was a thing such as fly on the wall filmmaking. And um, I actually don't believe in that as a thing. I don't think it exists. I think it's a really un misleading term because I'm a five foot seven woman. I'm not small. I have a massive camera. For me, the film is about our relationship over the time. And at the beginning, I sort of said to Freddie, you'll, you'll get used to the camera and it'll feel more familiar. And he sort of said to me, I don't ever, I don't feel familiar with it at all. I just, toler I just tolerate it. But I noticed that we would have these catch-up calls on the phone that were very intimate. And it is intimate when you put a phone to your face. It's very, 
it's very one-on-one, -on -one, much more so than with a camera. So I, with his permission, I started to record our phone calls and they become this sort of intimate spine to the film that I was struggling to achieve with a camera. So it's, it's a very interesting film for me because I had to, you know, it's my eighth feature film I've made, but you can't sit on your laurels and, it, and <laughs> sort of, I don't know, you can't just expect that you know the way to do it because I think each film should suggest the way it needs to be manifested, creatively solve the problems. There are other people in the film that are very important to Freddie's uh, journey, Freddie's life. CJ is one who been in a relationship with for, for a relatively short period of time and have not known each other under this sort of a situation, I guess the pressure, if you will, and his mom. Those are the two people in the film that for me kind of jump out as mm -hmm. very important people to Freddie. Talk a little bit about CJ and the relationship. <laughs> Freddie and CJ were very fun together. They, ha I think that they had a real bond in that they met, they met each other. I think they met each other at, I think it was the first queer club that Freddie had gone to. CJ is a non-binary guy. They present as male, so probably say guy, uh, from Trinidad who moved to London some years ago and is a tube driver. And um, CJ loves cooking, is really um, extrovert and very sort of different to, to Freddie. And they, very wide-eyed, ran into the idea of co-parenting together. And, and their relationship in the film is a bit nebulous because it was in real life. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like, what's going on here? I mean, it's just a different kind of... Um, way of being together than a more traditional sort of you know heteronormative couple they just had a different approach that you know they started off as wanting to be co-parents but then you know they deeply cared about each other yeah but with that came complications so it wasn't completely plain sailing it seemed like they just like to hang out together that they enjoyed each other's company they liked hanging out and there's one scene where they're both sitting on a couch and they're on the computer. I think, I think Freddie says, yeah, this is, this is our version of having sex. If I, if I, this is, there's something like that. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, a comment sort of indicates to me that they really like hanging out with each other. Oh yeah. They were like, um, sort of like weird bookends, yeah. you know, with yeah. matching slippers and matching laptops and, always always online because they're millennials if i were to psychoanalyze his sort of the kind of person he is he was determined to do this and cj yeah. would happen to be happened to be in the room in a manner of speaking when he wanted to start doing when he wanted to do this right well i think that no i think that they genuinely thought it was gonna be great i think that they instinctively thought it was gonna be great a good but then, you know, like, the, like all of us, sometimes reality catches up with our best laid plans. Right. And you have to, um, you know, go on, a, go on a different path. Right, but CJ being out of the picture didn't stop Freddie from moving. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's, where I was, that's where I met. Is it, that, that was a disturb And then also, his mom is also an amazing uh, person and 
uh, presence in, in Freddie's life. Let's talk about her because um, he described her at the beginning of the film as the most extroverted of the family, the one that everyone in town knew in a family of introverts, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, Esme is a force of nature. I think I call her that in the film. She's just um, extraordinary, incredible, just really energetic. Absolutely. I walked around town with her and she knew everybody. You know, it was like going out with the queen. <laughs> she knew everyone. And they. she's the sort of person, if you, want, if you wanted something doing, go to Esme and she'll help you. She'll help you do it. She'll help you get things changed or moved or, you know, and she loves her children with a fire like the sun, you know, and will defend them and their right to be who they want to be and who's going to, what's going to make them happiest yeah. in everything that she does. And she unquestioningly supported Freddie and the choices that he made about transition, but also getting pregnant and having a baby and was delighted when he said that he wanted to get pregnant. That doesn't mean that she doesn't give him a hard time because she's like, she speaks her mind and she got very fed up with him at times and sort of told him so. But, um, but also would, you know, you, I think a lot of, I think a lot of queer people are as lucky as Freddie is to have such a cheerleader in their corner. And it was extraordinary, like showing the film. Last year, we premiered the film at Tribeca and then we took it on to Hot Docs in Canada. And it was at Hot Docs screening that there were a lot of um, young queer people who don't have as close a relationship with their parents. And Esme was giving out hugs. They were all coming and seeing and just saying, I wish you were my mum. And it was, it was very moving. It was very, it was, it made me just sort of think how how blessed Freddie is with Esme and, and, and he knows but also just she's extraordinary she's she's an unusual person. I want to remind our audience that we're speaking with Jeannie Finley and the film is called Seahorse the dad who gave birth and it is out now you can see it on on a number of platforms just about any of the ones that you would would assume you can see on, uh, which is Fandango, Voodoo, Google, iTunes, all those. And uh, you should check this out. It is just such a, a really, um, I keep using this word, warm-hearted, intimate film. And Freddie is such an amazing subject of the film. The, the reaction to the film has been wonderful as well. The, the reviews have been glowing. I think it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's just... Been, it's been re received very well. Any surprises, any pushback? Is there anything, or, it, I mean, generally, I know you're, I'm sure you're happy with the film, but what, what has surprised you most about the reaction? I think I've been overwhelmed by the way that, that trans audiences have received the film. One of the things that I was a little nervous about at the beginning was would the film be embraced by a queer audience because I'm a cis woman? And I spent a lot of time reading and watching films that had been made about um, trans stories and sort of learned a bit about the ways that that's been done in a way that's really hurtful to trans people. You know, um, you never hear Freddie's dead name in the film. You don't see a sort of before and after photo, pre-transition and after 
you know, I didn't ever want to treat transition like a magic trick or like a makeover show. So it's so heartening to um, hear from trans audiences, but also like the family members of, of queer people. And um, I've done screenings with midwives, which has been amazing. And the film's traveled. I mean, it's not unusual to go to lots of festivals, but it's been, it's been interesting about how it's received in lots of different countries because it's got a very British sort of sense of humour and I hoped it would travel but um, it's interesting being in Australia and hearing the laughter and knowing that the film translated that it that humour is humour and it'll it doesn't matter or the emotion or hearing people crying you know that's always amazing uh, we have had some pushback there's a lot of people in the world, sadly, who, um, you know, including very high profile children's authors who don't believe that trans people have or, or just have a lot of very questionable views about trans people and don't want them to have equal rights. Or um, there's a lot of people who don't accept that um, Freddie is a man and wants to and had a baby as a man. There's a lot of, um, you know, um, the below the line comments are often a garbage fire. If you post a trailer and then you see a lot of stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of websites that look sort of mainstream. I'm not going to say the name of the main one in the UK. You know, there's a lot of transphobic feelings in the UK. And they're not held by everyone. You know, there's been recently um, gender recognition debate in the, in the commons and 70% of people got in touch to support trans people. Um, so the overall sentiment in the UK is trans positive. However, there are a few very um, loud voices that would lead you to believe that transphobia reflects the majority of um, UK opinion and it's just not true. But those voices are very loud and they're very toxic and they're very horrible. So I think it's really it's really important. I mean, it's slightly stressful, but it feels really important that Seahorse comes out now as a counter, as a positive, as a film that's made with someone who's trans, not just about them. It's made with Freddie, about talking to him and reflecting the complexity and the brilliance and the roller coaster of his life. So you can actually spend 90 minutes with a, If you don't know anyone who's trans, you can actually just spend... 90 minutes in Freddie's company and empathise for his journey. And I think that we need that now more than ever. I'm speaking to you just a couple of days uh, after the United States Supreme Court made a landmark ruling on the rights of transgender people in the workplace. And I just feels like I'm old enough to have gone through all kinds of eras in the United States where civil rights were on the agenda to be discussed. And I feel like we have reached a point, sort of a tipping point here in the United States where whether it be demographics, whether it be cultural, whether it be, there's a, we've reached a point where of a critical mass and we're always gonna have the, the, you know, the loudest people in the room will suck a lot of the air out of what is otherwise where we should be. They'll try and try and hijack that conversation, but it does feel like progress, a tremendous amount of progress has been made, a long ways to go for people mm -hmm. on, on all kinds of issues of civil rights and human rights. So 
but you're you're right. I couldn't agree more. The film comes along in a really opportune time for for people to have increase the expand the the discussion. And Freddie, with his sense of humor and and his story, it really expands it as well. Yeah, I mean, all I can hope is that if you can empathize yeah. with someone, then you can understand them, and then you may be less likely to cause harm. You know, trans people disproportionately are on the receiving end of, of violence and uh, trans black trans women in particular mm-hmm. and so it's an ongoing you know trans people can often be the most vulnerable people in our society yeah. and I think that the key to understanding is to hear from trans voices in their allowing making a space for trans people to tell their own story and if you're a cis filmmaker using your privilege to make the film available for a platform, for an audience. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, And also thank you for the film Seahorse, The Dad Who Gave Birth. It is out, as I said, it's out on all kinds of platforms, iTunes. Did you say Amazon? Did you just say it was on Amazon? It's on Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, Fandango, Microsoft, all the Microsoft platforms. Google, Microsoft, yes. It's on, so if you want to see it, you can see it, okay? <laughs> and if anyone's interested in, I've, if anyone's interested in finding out more about my films, I've got um, a retrospective at the Museum of Moving Image in New York right now, which is showing everything else I've ever made. Um, so that's going on until July the 3rd this year. Well, I will post a link to that retrospective. Well, thank you, Jeannie Finlay, for your time today. Thank you for Seahorse the dad who gave birth and um, hopefully people in New York or going to New York will have a chance to see some of your earlier work as well. Oh, well, it's all, it's all online. You can be anywhere in the world because, oh. the, because of COVID. Oh, this is true. What the am really I... sad thing is no. I don't get to go to New York for a little visit, um, which is really sad. But the positive thing yes. is that they're doing a virtual cinema at the moment. So you can be anywhere in the world and visit the retrospective even better very cool very cool very cool thank you so very much come back and whenever something has happened uh, in your uh, filmography and i I look forward to it this has been wonderful thank you so much thank you so much thanks for your time mike You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.